That's English guitarist and singer Martin Carthy. When first to London town I came, I took my lodging all at some inn. For four five months I did remain, but being a stranger I fell in danger. Doing so, doing so. But we won't ignore that other newly minted octogenarian. I'd give it all gladly. Our lives could be like that. That's Folk Radio, 10 p.m. here on WBAI. The time now is 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces. That is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. Stay tuned. Welcome back to WBAI. This is Driving Forces, your weekly show where we bring you conversations about politics and policy each week, where we explore the latest developments here at home in New York City and across the state and nation, and where we bring you the headliners, the newsmakers, and the newsbreakers. And with NYC's primary day less than a month away, we've been reaching out to the mayoral candidates to invite them on the show to help you learn more about them and if you're a voter to help you make an educated decision based on what you hear. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. As always, I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, a veteran of the New York City Press Corps who has covered quite a few campaigns. Celeste, good evening. Good evening, Jeff. Glad to be here with you as always. And just a little news you can use before we get into the show. We have some great guests coming up, so I'm very excited about that. Big reminder, if you have not done it yet, register to vote, according to the New York City Board of Elections. Tomorrow, May 28th, is the last day to register to vote in the June primary. Early voting starts on June 12th, then it runs to June 20th. June 15th is the last day to request an absentee ballot, and the deadline to return an absentee ballot is June 22nd, which is also Election Day. So big, important dates there. Make sure you have them on your calendar, and if you haven't registered to vote, register and then vote. And very important information. Thank you, Celeste, because a lot of the attention also in this June 22nd primary, a lot of the attention has been on the Democrats running for mayor here in the city. But we do have two Republicans running, and there was a fiery debate last night. Did you get a chance to watch? Yeah, I saw some of the highlights, read about it. And yeah, I mean, from what I saw, just wow, it was, uh, uh, you know, if I was in a more generous mood, I might call it a train wreck, but I'm not even sure I'm willing to be that complimentary. Uh, some really interesting stuff there. I don't know. What did you think, man? I have to say, you use the word train wreck. Uh, you know, I, uh, I thought of some other words that we can't say on radio. In fact, uh, it was, <laughs> it just got very, it devolved immediately. It got very personal. They broke the rules that they're supposed to adhere to. And by the way, we are talking about the two Democrats, uh, that Celeste and I have covered over the years as reporters. Uh, and you want to, you want to talk about the two because we both encounter them in their different walks of life. Oh, this is you're talking about from the debate last night. Yeah, the yes. Republican debate. So we had uh, Fernando Mateo uh, is an advocate for bodegas. He once uh, he launched a gun give back program. And of course, Curtis Sliwa, radio show host, founder of the Guardian Angels. And look, look, I mean, I get it that the Republican side of these contests tends to get less attention. New York City is overwhelmingly Democratic in uh, voter, you know, voter registration. And, and I understand that people are trying to get some attention, make a splash, make a name for themselves. I, I totally understand all that. But at the same time, you know, it's uh, I'm not sure what image it projects. You want look, people want to look tough too. let me just add that in people want to, um, you know, 
look like they are ready to step up and be the sort of the commander in chief of New York City. But yelling, personal insults, sniping, I mean, I just don't know how far that goes toward educating voters about who would be the best choice. What do you think? Oh, I completely agree with you. The entire debate seemed to just evolve into everything but little policy discussion. Of course, there was a good amount of bashing of the current mayor, Bill de Blasio. There was one telling exchange. There was one exchange. That in a Democratic debate, too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) Um, You know, and whoever, I mean, emerges from this obviously is going to be the underdog because they have barely raised anything compared with the, uh, the Democrats who were leading the pack. Uh, and who we have had on and who we're going to have on uh, one of them in just a short while here. There was one exchange I do want to bring up, which was really uh, important, unless you would like to bring it up about when they asked uh, Errol Lewis had asked about Donald Trump and if he actually won the election last year. That was the thing that really jumped out at me. So you you and I are uh, on the same wavelength there. Absolutely. So Curtis Slewa. So the question was, do you think Donald Trump won the election? And Curtis Slewa just said no. And Fernando Mateo said yes and uh, went on to say that he was just trying to do the right thing and that other people uh, who believe that storyline are just looking for justice. I think he had mentioned actually um, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. Uh, But, you know, that's just – I don't think that's a matter of debate. I don't think that's a matter of opinion. Uh, Donald Trump did not win the election. He uh, did not win the Electoral College. He did not win the popular vote either. As far as I could tell, uh, none of this is is happening. Donald Trump uh, did not win re-election, is no longer president, and that's the story. So let's get to today's first guest. Absolutely. This is a a pleasure for us. We've been trying to bring on a lot of uh, candidates for mayor this uh, this season, and we've been very lucky to have a bunch of them. So we are very happy to welcome to the program Ray McGuire. And I think that uh, you may have seen him if you've been watching the uh, if you've been watching the mayoral debates, if you've been reading accounts of this. And I think that uh, Mr. McGuire has you know set himself apart in in a few ways uh, from other people who are running. He's really positioning himself as the kind of financial expert that uh, the city needs right now. We have a fiscal crisis, obviously, resultant from the pandemic, from the uh, economic uh, beating that New York City took uh, from the pandemic. So he's a veteran financial executive. He stepped down after 15 years as vice chairman at Citigroup to run for office. He was also a member of the City Foundation Board, where he focused on a lot of issues within low-income communities. And recently, he also helped write a groundbreaking report on the economic impact of systemic racism. He's advocated for racial justice. He's called on corporate leaders to do more to combat systemic racism, particularly after George Floyd's murder. Uh, we're going to get to that. Uh, he grew up in Dayton, Ohio, was raised with two brothers by a single mom, social worker, help from grandpa and grandma. Uh, he is an experienced donor, but he's a first-time candidate. So, Ray McGuire, it's a pleasure to have you join us here on Driving Forces today. If you have. Not yet. Ah, okay. Well, we uh, we just gave you a little thumbnail, and we will ask Mr. <laughs> McGuire when he joins the program to uh, uh, to uh, give give us a little bit more of a, a bio of himself. But you know, uh, you know, we can talk about right now, though, as we're waiting for him to call in. Yeah, uh, yeah, th- yeah, there's yeah. I mean, you and I know how often we follow these polls, and so many different polls come out around this time. Oh my God! Uh, yes. You know, and there were two this week. Uh, now, while he is not at the top of those polls, he's still considered among the top eight candidates right here. I don't know if you want to talk about either one of them, and I could then address the other one. Uh, yeah, there. I, I mean, look, and and I think that people have been able to see certainly all of these candidates in the debates, and uh, we are going to be seeing more of them in another upcoming debate. But now. Uh, from the moment we have, in fact, all waited for, uh, Ray McGuire is with us here at WBAI. And uh, Mr. McGuire, a pleasure to welcome you here to Driving Forces. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on WBAI. It's exciting to be here with you. Good. Really glad you could make it. And we just a few moments ago, we jumped the gun a little. Maybe we were so excited. But uh, we gave a little bit of a biographical sketch of you and your career and some of the uh, the rationale for you running. But, you know, in your own words, let's uh, let's have you do it. Just uh, give us a, a few moments for the listeners of who you are and why you're running for this office. Just briefly. 
So who I am is the son of my now 95-year-old mother from Dayton, Ohio. I grew up in the industrial part of the country, and my mother, who sometimes used to work three jobs, made the sacrifices. She, along with my grandparents, raised me and my two brothers, along with half a dozen foster siblings at any point in time. And she eventually became a social worker, and based on her sacrifices, I was able to get a good education. I left home when I was 16 years old and came east by myself and took a, a Greyhound bus around New England looking for education. I landed at a school in Connecticut and eventually went on to apply to colleges, was able to get into Harvard College and Harvard Law School and Harvard Business School, all on scholarship and financial aid. I came to New York City with three things. I came with a great education with a lot of debt and no money, and this city's been great to me. It has been great to me personally, which is where I met my wife, and we have three children. Uh, Crystal is my wife. She's an author. She does documentary films. Uh, our son, Leo, is eight. Our son, Elle, is 18. She just got into the college of her choice, which is Cole is 21, and he was recently drafted into the NBA starting point guard for the Orlando Magic. So it's been great to me personally and professionally. I came into the New York City in a world called Finance, corporate finance, and I've been able to climb the ladder and break down barriers, conscious and unconscious bias, extend the ladder to others as I've broken down those barriers and achieved the, one of the highest positions that exists in the history of corporate America and stayed there for longer than anybody else. So that's a little about who I am. I've managed budgets longer than, you know, larger than most state budgets. I've uh, led teams, built and led teams and managed and led those teams through the depth of the financial crisis where I had to do everything. I had to do, you know, more with less, and then I had to do everything with nothing. And I was able to do that for longer than anyone else. So I'm doing this because I love New York City. I know how to manage the budgets. I know how to include those who have been excluded because I've lived that life. And I do not owe any political favors. Zero. Bupkis. So my sole focus is on what's in the best interest of the city that I love that's given me everything. And I'm running because the city now needs leadership and management that meets this moment of crisis in education, in health care, in the economy. And those other people who are running have been in positions of, of where they could have made a difference. In aggregate, they got 100 years of experience, and the city is going backwards. It's the same movie, same cast of characters, playing at your local city hall, and New Yorkers suffer. So we need something different. We need something new, which is what New Yorkers are telling me every single day. So it's it's interesting as you go through your biographical sketch, and certainly there's a there's a lot there. There's a lot there to interest people. Uh, you know, just thinking, uh, somebody who was born outside of New York City. Uh, uh, made a, a very very successful career uh, in finance, uh, in and uh, you know uh, later went on to do many other things beyond that, uh, and had never run for public office or held public office, but decided to run for mayor. Does it remind you of anybody, or because <laughs> uh, I'm wondering if if you have looked at the uh, in any way the Mike Bloomberg model? Oh, and also is a, a self financed candidate. Have you looked in any way at the Mike Bloomberg model uh, for how? He he was able to take his uh, life experience and credentials and translate them into public service from the private sector. You know, I have looked at that model. I will say that um, there are distinction between me and Mike, Mike Bloomberg. First of all, I have led a, a private life of public service. I've invested in the arts. I've been involved in the arts. I've been involved in education, De La Salle Academy, George Jackson Academy. I sit on the board of the New York Public Library that makes certain that Many of our kids who don't have broadband get access to Wi-Fi. I sat on the, the, the board of Presbyterian Hospital, making certain we have nurses stations in Washington Heights. I've sat in arts education, Harlem School of the Arts, bigger skating in the Harlem Museum of Natural History, making certain that New Yorkers were able to have available to them opportunities in arts and education, in education, in the economy, in health care, and in criminal justice. So I have a, I have a private life of public service and you know my word says be known by your deeds and and not go advertise others have advertised and don't have much to show for it and i've been fortunate to be able to not advertise and have lots to show for it mentees that are that range in the thousands across the different sectors so i will take some of the successes that that mayor bloomberg has clearly been able to uh, to demonstrate and he like me has been a doer and not a talker 
I would hope that one day when you get a successful uh, non-black person, white person, when they say, you know, there goes the there goes the white Ray McGuire. So I would, you know, we're getting there at some point, I think. So, Mr. McGuire, this is Jeff Simmons. Thanks for joining us. Everyone, all the candidates say they have a plan, but then the realization hits you that you'll have to make very tough decisions if you're elected regarding our budget as we seek a, a solid economic recovery. And I'm just curious, when you look at the mayor's $98.6 billion spending plan, given your financial expertise, how would you describe it and what would you cut or add? I would look at this budget to say that it is an irresponsible budget. We've gotten a avalanche of, of support from the federal government to the tune of 15 some odd billion dollars. This budget is 30-some-odd percent over the original budget that the mayor had when, when, when he started out. It's almost 15 percent more than the budget in his last budget. And it, it, there's fiscal irresponsibility there, and we need somebody who's actually managed budgets. And I've managed budgets from the depth of the financial crisis. I've had to manage over 50 budgets. And the difference between managing a budget in the private sector versus what this mayor is doing is I was held accountable. And that accountability meant that I had to meet or exceed that budget. If I didn't, I wouldn't have stayed in that position for longer than anybody else in the history of the business. And so I look at this and say there are inefficiencies there. We're not being fiscally responsible in how this budget is being managed. And the way it's being managed is going to lead to a four plus four plus four billion dollar budget deficit, which means that it's going to lead to this city potentially going bankrupt because of how irresponsibly it is being managed. I would have done it differently, very differently. And my plan, on which I have experience of having executed on a large budget, and most of the other candidates have never managed budgets of any size, manage employees of any size. You know, more than 100 people is the most they've managed in many instances. And they've never been held accountable for managing those budgets. I've been held accountable, so I know exactly how to go in and manage a budget. Because you need to have accountability to New Yorkers. And I want to have a public scorecard that demonstrates how I manage budgets. So amid the pandemic, we have also seen significant job losses in the city. There was a report out just a few weeks ago uh, that noted that half of New York City's minority and women-owned businesses had to lay off or furlough employees since the start of the pandemic. What are your plans to help grow minority-owned and women-owned businesses in the city? So as part of my uh, what I call my greatest, most inclusive economic comeback plan, 500,000 jobs, go big, go small, go forward. Go, go small is focus on the small businesses, 50,000 small businesses, 50,000 jobs in the small business. They are the lifeblood to the city, both economically and culturally. With respect to the minority and women-owned businesses, in 2020, we spent $22.5 billion, the city did. The minority and women-owned businesses got one9 billion of that, less than 5%. Eight out of 10 of the minority and women-owned businesses got zero. And so I will be intentional on how we allocate and spend that $22.5 billion. We need to be inclusive going forward in ways that we have been clearly exclusive historically. And unless we have somebody who understands how to manage budgets and somebody who's an outsider who can do this with fairness and, and transparency and above any scrutiny, or within the within the, the specter of, uh, of scrutiny, it, it, this is not going to work. So we need somebody who understands how to manage these budgets, who understands how to be inclusive, who understands how to make certain that those businesses that have been excluded get included. And the way I think about this is many of those minority businesses have been outside for so long that when they give them crumbs, they want them to feel full. I'm not interested in getting them crumbs. Matter of fact, I'm not interested in the cake. I want those businesses to own the bakeries, which clearly has to be the goal, to write many of the past inequities, the systemic inequities, and my plan is to make certain that they own the bakeries, clearly metaphorically, but some literally. And we can do that spending $22.5 billion. If you're just joining us, this is WBAI New York's Jiving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we're speaking with Ray McGuire, candidate for mayor of the city of New York. And uh, while we are talking about budgeting and expenditures, obviously one of the biggest ticket items uh, in the city would be public education. I know you have experience with uh, education in, in many different respects. Uh, curious to know, what do you think about uh, New York City public schools going back to uh, full 
on in-person education this fall. Not every district in the country is doing that. Some are sticking with a, a hybrid model or at least offering a hybrid model. Do you agree with the decision of the mayor and the chancellor to have all kids go back to school in person full time or would you do something differently? So the answer is yes, I agree. But let me give you this. I wouldn't be here without education. It is the fundamental to who I am. It's my, it was my only way out, my only ticket out. And today I look at the educational system, and if I randomly take 10 black and brown boys and girls in the fourth grade, two, maybe three can read. If I look at third through eighth grade, 70% are below proficient. Now, it costs us $26,000 a year to educate a child in New York City. It costs us $446,000 a year to give an inmate at Rikers. We clearly have the wrong priorities. We need to transform the educational system so that our children's lives are not determined by their zip code. And my plan, which your listeners can can listen to and read, or at least they can read, at Ray for Mayor or rayformayor.com is outlined called Cradle to Career. And that means that I want to ensure that our children's education starts early, pre-pre-K, because what we know is that many of our children arrive at pre-K, they're already behind. Affordable child care the right assessment for our children. And then I want to guarantee that by the end of the third grade, every child in New York City can read and do math. Why is that? Because all the educators will tell us that between zero and the end of the third grade, our children are learning to read. After that, they're reading to learn. I want to guarantee that every child in New York City can do that. Sixth grade, they got to be financially and digitally literate. In eighth grade, we begin pathways to a career. So they get summer jobs. They can become welders and plumbers. They can become software engineers or coders. But at least we give them access, vocational training, workforce training, however want to call it. So by the time they graduate, they have a career planned out. They can go to that two-year. They can go to that career. They can go to a two-year, four-year college. But I want to transform the educational system so that works. Today it's not working. And, yes, when it comes to the kids that we've lost to COVID, we need, and my plan is to have them educated during the course of the summer. Parents can opt out, but we need to invest today because we're in the midst of an educational crisis. Unless we do something about it, that $446,000 a year is only going to go up. And we have, you know, limited time. Unfortunately, say we'd love to keep you on for the entire hour. We're going to try to get to a few more topics, at least, um, you know, parents uh, and for themselves as well as for their children. One of the things that people have been talking about quite a bit lately, of course, is the safety of the streets, of the schools, but also of the streets, uh, general crime rates, uh, how that's changed, but also attacks specifically against different groups. Uh, uh, Asian Americans have seen a, a spate of bias related incidents. Um, there have been some incidents related to uh, unrest in the Middle East sort of spilling over into the streets of New York. Um, some very disturbing images, for exact, um, for example, of the Diamond District, of unrest in the Diamond District, um, people uh, being sort of uh, targeted there. You know, what, what are your thoughts on uh, what you would like to see done differently, if anything, uh, with the NYPD and with community policing to keep the city safe? So, for one, with the NYPD, uh, I'm not for defund. I'm for better policing. I want to make certain, as a black man, the police protect me and not profile me. What we need to do is uh, have a relationship. I want better policing. I want to make certain that we do return to community policing. I want to structure the NYPD such that I have a deputy mayor for public safety that is involved in the day-to-day management of the NYPD, as well as involved in the community. I want to make certain we have chain of command accountability. One or more officers involved in an infraction, the entire chain gets held responsible. I want to have emergency social services, mental health care professionals, 24 hours, seven days a week in the precincts and in our subways. Mental health issues, four to five of the 10 calls that go into 911 have to do with mental health issues. So I want to make certain that we invest in mental health care and mental and the mental health care professionals. I want to have the CCRB get full investigative authority, uh, which means that rather than have them take 48-hour, 48-days-review video cam footage, let's get it, have them get it in 48 in, in 48 hours as opposed, to 40, as opposed to 48 days. They make a recommendation. They get a full file. They make a recommendation to the commissioner, and based on that commissioner's response, take further action. And you're right. I want to invest in community policing, and I also want to invest in community centers and summer jobs and the violence interrupters who have their hands on the pulse of what's taking place in the community. 
And I want to get the guns off the street, which is going to be critical. So my priorities are streets. We owe New Yorkers the benefit, the covenant, the leadership owes them, the covenant of of being safe in their streets. So I would denounce any anti-hate crime, anti-Semitism, anti-Asian American, any 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 group who experiences that kind of and that hatred. We should denounce the leadership of the city ought to stand up and be recognized for denouncing any kind of that hatred. And we've got just about a minute left. Uh, Celeste and I at the top of the show were talking about our impressions of last night's Republican debate. I'm curious briefly if you watched it, because if you get the Democratic nomination, you're then going to have to debate one of these two individuals, Curtis Lee or Fernando Mateo. What did you think if you uh, if you watched this last night? So I, I think that New Yorkers are getting an opportunity to see how each candidate differentiates her or himself. I'm quite confident that when the arc of my story, my lived experience, and what I've been able to accomplish gets told to New Yorkers, New Yorkers will will, will clearly see that there is a choice. There's a choice of the past and maintaining the status quo of the past, or there's a choice of making certain that New Yorkers' best days are ahead of us, as opposed to behind and us. And Ray McGuire, how can people best days. how can people find out about more about you and your campaign? Where can they go? For those inclined to social media, I would say go to at Ray for Mayor. And for those who are on the Internet, I would say RayForMayor.com. Either of those two will give you a sense of, not a sense, but give you details behind my vision for this city. The greatest, most inclusive economic comeback, keeping the streets and make sure our children get educated. Great. Ray McGuire, thanks so much for joining us here today on WBAI and Driving Forces. Thank you for having me. So you've been listening to uh, Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And we were just talking with mayoral candidate Ray McGuire. We're going to take a very brief break and then bring you a conversation with another mayoral candidate, not one of the top eight that you've been seeing on stage, but among the group that's still at, you know, trying to pursue that top seat here in New York City. So right now, he, like most of the others, are trying to stay alive. With that, Reggie, play that music. Who could mistake that for anything else but Staying Alive by the Bee Gees, one of Jeff's favorite songs. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, and in about 15 minutes, we're going to be taking your calls about the mayor's race, uh, about politics in general. Did you have a chance to watch the uh, Republican candidates' uh, debate last night? Very interesting stuff there. Take down the number so you can be ready, be first in line because uh, sometimes the switchboard fills up 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. 
And I'm your co-host, Jeff Simmons. This is the second part of today's show. We're happy to bring you a conversation with another mayoral candidate. You may not have heard his name yet, but he because he's not topping the polls, but he's long been involved in city life, and he is not the only Asian-American candidate in this race. I'm talking about Art Chang. Very briefly, he's the son of Korean immigrants. He spent the last... 35 years, and as he says, working as a professional problem solver in New York City. He's built a dozen startups, all focused on technology, including one called Casebook, which is the first web-based software platform for child welfare, which is now a nationwide standard. He put Queens West, which is the LIC waterfront, in the ground with climate change in mind. And he also co-created, something you're all going to know about, NYC Votes, with the Campaign Finance Board to improve participation. Art Chang, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much, Jeff, for that great introduction. I'm delighted to be here. So I just briefly gave your bio. We want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself more to our listeners. Can you tell them a little more about why it's important that they should consider you when they head to the polls this season? Great. So um, I'm Art Chang, and I'm running for mayor. Um, the what Jeff mentioned, um, you know, the problem-solving aspect of what I do is focused not by tearing problems apart, but by looking at interconnections. And the greatest example of that is my 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 tent pole um, policy, which is universal child care. In a single policy, uh, we can solve three major problems. Um, the first is that for women who have been the most impacted by COVID and economic crisis, this will allow women to get back to work. Second, we've talked about the need to have equity across the board for children. And, you know, early childhood is the most important time of life for, for children in terms of physical and brain development. So we can level the playing field. And then third, um, we, can, we can create thousands of union jobs that pay living wages with real benefits. And all told, when you take that whole package into account, you know, economists estimate that this can create a 13.3% ROI for a city just from that program. And I want to welcome you to the program as well. And we're going to get back to policy stuff in just a moment. But uh, I know you did something uh, very interesting recently with other mayoral, uh, another mayoral candidate, given that we have a new ranked choice voting system. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you did and why you did it? Sure. So I'm thrilled to, um, to co-endorse um, another mayoral candidate, Joyce Nolan Taylor. Um, and, uh, you know, we we're the first uh, two to create, you know, what's kind of known around the country as an RCB slate. And there were two candidates agreed to you know, co-campaign and co-endorse each other. And, in fact, we've each made a commitment to work in the other's administration if the other should win. Um, and the reason I did that was because, you know, it goes back to the reason why I entered the race. You know, we, the problems we have are daunting, but they are solvable. And I've always believed that it takes somebody with deep experience in city and state government and the key nonprofits as well, and who brings a mind, the mind of business, finance, technology, and the creativity of the arts to the table, and I have those things in spades. Uh, Joyce Lynn is the candidate um, who has that best out of the rest. And so I was totally delighted to be able to do this. Um, and, you know, we both share, you know, co- you know backgrounds that, that come from hardship that we've overcome and been able to forge, you know, new paths for ourselves, which, are, which is a different kind of problem solving. So um, it's good to have you on the show. I think about you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and how she was largely ignored when she ran for Congress. It was seen as a foregone conclusion that she'd lose badly. And as we all know, it did not happen that way. How would you say you've been treated by the media during this race? You know, I feel much the same way. You know, you know, I entered the race knowing that I was not a household name, um, knowing that knowing that I have to forge a different path. And so, you know, I've had really no choice but to embrace that. Um, and we've, you know, learned a lot from watching, you know, AOC at work, and we're following in her footsteps. Um, we are waging, you know, a primarily digital campaign. 
um, trying to reach voters one-to-one online via Zoom um, and with some canvassing to boot. Um, but it is very much of a grassroots, bottom-up style campaign um, that reflects the small size of our staff team. And um, I'm curious to hear about some of your experiences. And if you're just joining us, by the way, this is Driving Forces here on WBAI, Jeff and Celeste. We're speaking with Art Chang, candidate for mayor of the city of New York. I'm wondering what it is like running um, in the current climate as an Asian American. Uh, I myself happen to be of Asian American background. Uh, it doesn't come across so well on the radio. But um, mm-hmm. do you, uh, you know, do, do you feel like that's been um, something that has made people more interested? Interested? Do you feel that people have been uh, less interested, turned off, uh, biased towards you? What what has that experience been like for you running for office? It's a great question, and Celeste, it's, it's nice to meet you over the radio. Um, you know, I've been a long admi- long time admirer of yours, so it's nice to meet you in the setting. Thank you. Um, so, um, I you know, it's it's been a, a good experience. I didn't know quite what to expect. Um, but I think, you know, running in this time, you know, in the wave of anti-Asian hate um, has, you know, put a focus on Asian candidates and an interest on Asian candidates that uh, I'm not so sure would have been there a year ago. You know, I think people have looked at me and looked at, at, at the work that I've done and the, way, and the struggles that I've had, and they see that now with greater empathy because part of the... Part of the insight, I think, that the anti-Asian hate crime wave has brought has been, you know, kind of a newfound appreciation of the struggles of Asians in America, you know, as a minority group, you know, trying to carve out our own path. Um, and I think we've done that, and, um, and so that's been, been really terrific. Um, I think, you know, it's seeing, you know, Andrew and, um, you know, Eric battle it out um, at the top has been very interesting. Um, and, you know, again, this goes back to, you know, in some, in some respects, deliberately, you know, choosing to counteract that with, you know, myself as an Asian man and Joyce Flynn as a black woman, um, but collaborating and trying to focus on the issues that affect the city. And for me, it's using the problems that Asians in New York City face as a lens into which we can see you know, the problems affect every other immigrant community in, the, in, in New York City. And just to stay on the topic for a minute, obviously the violence uh, that we have seen in New York and elsewhere against Asian Americans, a real, a real spate of that. Uh, you know, have you given thought to if you become mayor, how would you uh, want to make any changes or have more enforcement uh, related to bias crimes uh, by the NYPD and by other law enforcement agencies? Is there something you might do differently than what's being done now? Oh, wow. I think about this all the time. I mean, you know, not a day goes by when there isn't some um, new crime that's been been committed. And so, you know, I just, uh, my heart goes out to everybody um, in my community and everyone across the city who's experiencing or fearful because of hate crime. And as we know, this has affected the uh, Jewish community as well very recently. Um, But what I want to say is I think, you know, we have to obviously make people feel safer. And um, so it may involve, may re- it requires, you know, a sensible, sensible response is putting more police officers, you know, on the street. But I disagree that we need to actually have police officers there and that they are, and that they are a solution to the problem. That we know that the majority of, of the most violent crimes being committed against Asian Americans is caused by mentally ill people. Um, as well as we know that the most kind of, you know, um, you know, you know, unexplained and, in some respects, you know, unanticipated um, violence that happens in places like the subway, you know, also come from mentally ill people. And so we have to really have a concerted, you know, effort to address mental illness. Um, you know, I'm proposing creating, you know, 10,000 beds of supportive housing in partnership with the nonprofits in the city um, who specialize in that work and who do a great job at that. Um, and I'm also um, um, proposing creating um, unarmed teams of nonviolent responders who can go into the subways, go onto the streets, and help get these mentally ill folks you know, into the type of care and treatment that they need. So as we think of New York City's recovery, 
uh, obviously the next mayor is going to have to deal with significant budgetary challenges. Uh, we asked the uh, our prior guest on the show today what he would see or how he viewed the current budget plan that was unveiled recently by Mayor de Blasio and where he would cut or where we, he would add money. What are your thoughts on the budget that was just unveiled recently, the spending plan? And is there an area that you felt there was uh, too much investment in or is there an area you felt should uh, they there it requires more funding? Well, we should point out that the recent budget, the most recent uh, proposed budget, is $98.6 billion, you know, nearly $100 billion. Um, it is, if we were a state, our budget would be larger than all but four states. Um, and when you look at what's happened to this budget, right, $23 billion of it has increased in 2020 dollar terms, $23 billion increased over the budget that de Blasio inherited eight years ago. So we have to ask ourselves, what happened to that money? And can the city do more with what we have? And, you know, based on the projections for future property tax shortfalls, you know, do more with less? And I, have, I think the answer is clearly yes. Um, I believe that there is a minimum of $10 billion of wasted money that comes from the style of management that our current mayor has, putting silos within silos, um, taking away, not addressing the intersections of these problems, but dealing with them in a very fragmented fashion. This has created duplicative efforts, duplicative processes, and huge amounts of excess overhead in the administration in every single agency. I mean, the, the mayor's office budget has increased by 25%. Overhead in the DOE has increased by 25%. Um, the Police department has 14,000 civilian employees that were supposed to be phased out, uh, costing billions of dollars. Um, and you know, so there are many, many areas you can probably look across the board and 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 make cuts. Um, I'm calling for, um, you know, and one of the areas I think we really have to think hard about goes back to the public safety question: Do more policing equal safety? And to me, the answer is clearly no. Um, 94% of calls do not require um, an armed officer to respond to them. Um, so just as common sense, we should start making significant cuts um, to, our, uh, to our police um, officer pool. Um, and I propose a $1.3 billion cut there to start with. And I want to go over to education for a moment. You know, one of the topics that came up this week, I saw that several candidates had weighed in, but I'm curious about your position. When it comes to charter schools, uh, obviously there is a cap on the number that can be allowed at any point due to legislation. Do you think that cap should be lifted? I do not. Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great thing for there to be innovation in our city, for parents to feel like they have more choice um, and for there to be quality schools in our city. Um, what worries me about the charter schools is that we do a couple things. Um, we create these places that become magnets for um, students who um, can perform better and will perform better, and um, so um, take those, re those, those, those students away from the rest of the, of the school pack. Um, and it also um, diverse, diverts resources um, into places that you know where where you know, those resources need to be brought back into the overall school system. So um, you know my my focus is quality education for every student, um, especially in an environment where we know that 65% of you know black students, for example, do not perform at grade level. Right, that is inequitable, and we have to resolve that, and that will be a priority of my administration. We're talking to candidate for mayor, Art Chang, and staying on the school issue for just a minute, this is something that we brought up a little earlier in the program about children returning to full-time in-person education in the fall. Obviously, that means teachers and support staff returning as well. Do you think that's the right decision? Not every uh, community or municipality is uh, is. Uh, suggesting that that's the answer. Some are offering a hybrid model or an option. Uh, what do you think about kids going back to school uh, full-time in person along with teachers and support staff? Well, I'll give you my gut instinct, but I'll also tell you how I think I, I would approach it differently. My gut instinct is that it is great for students to be together 
in a school environment where their teachers are also present. Um, but we also know that we've been through a year, kind of like this unprecedented year where, where family members may have died um, or been ill, um, where you know students have experienced this loss of contact with other students. We know mental health issues among students and among teachers are also uh, very, very high. Um, and you know what I would have strongly preferred to see before we reached this decision is a process that included teachers and parents and communities, and I think even students, um, talking about coming back together and what it would take to make this happen. And do it in a way that doesn't say, well, we, we're going to have this one-size-fits-all approach that, it, that is going to be imposed on every student and every community across the board, that we can have a more nuanced approach that addresses very specific needs and meets communities and families where they are. And Archang, we're going to have to wrap up in just a, about a minute. I'd love for our listeners to know from you where they should go to learn more about you, to discover more about your campaign and your positions on a number of issues. Thank you. Um, so you can find out more about me at um, my website, chang.nyc, C-H-A-N-G.nyc. Um, there on my homepage at the bottom uh, you can actually book time to come visit me on my Zoom open office hours, which I hold seven days a week. R. Chang, I thank you so much on behalf of Celeste and myself for being here on WBAI's Driving Forces today. Hey, thank you both so much for having me here. So that was Art Chang, candidate for mayor. You've been listening to WBAI 99.5 FM's Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and my co-host, Celeste Kath-Marston. Phone lines are now open, 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. Yeah, definitely call in because there's a lot to talk about here. And one thing that we uh, touched on a bit in some of these conversations, but still want to talk about ranked choice voting. Now, this is, again, this is a really big difference in the entire structure of how we do elections. And you have to really sort of put more, I guess, in a different kind of thought. You're not uh, going all or nothing with one candidate. You can choose a series of candidates in the order you prefer them. And that's going to really change the dynamic. It's going to change the way people vote. It's changing the way people campaign, uh, you know, the strategy, all of that. Very interesting stuff. So 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Have you developed your own uh, ranked choice list for voting? Or are you only going to pick one person? Maybe you don't want to participate. Do you already miss the, the good old days where you only had to think about one person that you wanted to be mayor and the, the hell with everyone else? 212-209-2877. Earlier this hour, we also spoke with two candidates for mayor separately you will get the uh the full-on uh, uh ensemble cast in the next debate but we did speak with ray mcguire and art chang just now 212-209-2877 and we've already got a call so let's get to that call right now welcome to wbai you were on the air what's your name and where are you from yeah my name is hammer i'm from queens hi, hi and what is on your mind today yeah, I was, uh, you know, I'm looking at when they talk about um, police reform and they're uh, talking about um, should we, we have we have um, um, police reform. Now, we have a constitution. I haven't heard anybody say anything about the constitution. And the constitution is very powerful with that, you know, because I had experience with using the constitution, thank God, with you know, um, experience with a cop is that it's not, it's, it's, it's different, um, things we can use is a, a, a thing called with a Colorado, okay, that you can use. Then there's another thing is that, um, why they say the cops have to serve and protect. And in the case of Supreme Court case, it said that police are not, um, obligated to protect you. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, why these candidates are not coming out with these things with the Constitution of the Constitution? And it's like, everybody forgot about that. We're asking the legislation to make laws 
we have a constitution that um, bounds these um, people already, but we are already saying that these guys can do what they want. I mean, liberty, for instance, um, they're not supposed to restrain okay. your liberty. Okay, so thank you. I'm going to cut you off only because we've got a few more calls to squeeze in. I wanted to give you a chance to say what was on your mind. Thank you so much uh, for calling in from Queens tonight. Let's go to the next call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your uh, What's your name and where are you from? Hi, this is Reggie from uh, Brooklyn, Bedford-Stuyvesant. Reggie, uh, welcome. Really what is on your th- mind? Uh, two things really quickly. One, I want to thank you for uh, putting on... Art Chang, he he sounds interesting. He he answered your 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 what you asked him very directly. Interesting, I'm you know. So I want to thank you on that. And second, I haven't heard any of these candidates talk about the um the uh, Wall Street stock um stock transfer re- tax that gets rebated and that started in 1981. I haven't heard any of these candidates uh, take a position on that. You know, someone like a, um, Diane Morales or a, um, Maya Wiley, I haven't heard any of those people, I haven't heard anybody take a position on that. I can imagine Ray McGuire's position, but um, uh, can you answer my question? You know what I'm talking about. Thank you. We have one candidate out there. Uh, one, <laughs> we have one caller out there. If candidates, if you're listening, who wants to know what you think of what's going on on Wall Street, and we want to know what you think of what's going on uh, in politics and government. Two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. I think we have another caller on the line. Yes, Let's check do. it out. W B A I U B A I. You're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, my name is Donna. I'm calling from Queens. Hey, what's on your mind today? What's on my mind is um, the working people. And what's on my mind is um, the people do not have a voice, it seems like. You know, they don't get a chance to have town halls and things like that. And one more thing that's on my mind is the ranked choice voting. I made that mistake in District 31, and it took us nine months to get our candidate. And I wasn't aware that you didn't have to rank. You could just pick the uh, candidate that you wanted. So now what I'm going to do is just pick the candidate that I want. And that's it. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much. And certainly that uh, that is an option. Yeah, and you do have that ability. You're not required to vote. To rank five candidates, you can choose up to five candidates when you rank them in each one of these races, if there are five or more candidates. Yeah, so we're going to have to wrap the show in a very short while. Oh, wow. So we any, are any, really super running thoughts? out of time. Yeah. Well, one thing is I definitely want to know what you are up to on your next program. So let's jump in there. <laughs> How'd you um, like that table that, turn? That's very good. Um, I am not on this coming Sunday. My co-host David Brand will be hosting City Watch at 10 a.m. on Sunday here on WBAI. He's focusing on an issue that Celeste and I did not get to today, and I'm very happy because it's an issue dear to my heart as well because of the work that I do. He's focusing on addressing housing and homelessness issues. First name, Celeste is going to know this one from when she covered City Hall. Linda Gibbs, former deputy mayor, correct, Celeste? Mm Mm-hmm. She has a book out, How 10 Global Cities Take on Homelessness, Innovations That Work. Then a woman I've done some work with who I think is fantastic, Jessica Katz, who is the executive director of the Citizens Housing Planning Council. No relation to Celeste Katz. And then Anya Duggan, CEO of the Partnership for the Homeless. He's going to have a fantastic show focused on a great issue uh, addressing homelessness and preventing homelessness in the city. 
And just want to remind everybody, of course, as we do on every program, uh, we rely on your support to continue bringing these programs. I was very happy to hear that people were interested in what we had to say, uh, what our guests, more importantly, had to say. Uh, you can help keep free speech, non-commercial radio on the air. Just go to WBAI.org, click Ways to Donate, and give as generously as you can. You can give in any amount. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. You can write off your donation on your taxes, but just go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. We appreciate every bit of help. So thank you, our wonderful listeners. Thank you for tuning in today to Driving Forces. Stay safe, stay healthy, mask up if you're not vaccinated, and have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. from WBAI's Premiums Department. As you may know, WBAI now has a new phone number to call to make donations or to pledge for premiums at 212-209-2950. Thank you for being a WBAI member and for making a contribution to keep the station afloat. But if you have a question about a premium, please do not call that number. All the call center can do is take down the info and send it to premiums at WBAI.org, and time on the line costs us money. Instead, please email us directly with your question or concern. The email is premiums at WBAI.org or call 212-209-2870. We promise to get back to you within a week's time. Again, please call 212-209-2870 if you have a question about a premium you ordered or email premiums at WBAI.org. Amy Cooper in 2020. Susan Smith in 1994. Why was it so easy for these women to blame a black man and be seen as the victim? This week, poet and playwright Cornelius Eady and actor-director Joe Morton will join me, Marcia Pendleton, to discuss revisiting brutal imagination, the poetic and timely exploration of Susan Smith and the kidnapper she invented. Tune in on Thursday, May 27th at 9 p.m. for the next Backstage Stories on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming at WBAI.org. On Folk Radio at 10 p.m. here on WBAI, we feature one of the great folk performers who has just turned 80 years old. Of course, that's English guitarist and singer Martin Carthy. When first to London town I came, I took my lodging all at some inn. For full five months I did remain, but being a stranger I fell in danger. Doing so, doing so. But we won't ignore that other newly minted octogenarian. Give it all gladly If our lives could be like that That Folk Radio, 10 p.m. here on WBAI. Hello, WBAI listeners and supporters. If you appreciate interacting with members of the WBAI local station board, then tune in Friday, May 28th, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. for the fourth report of 2021 from the WBAI Local Station Board. This time you'll hear from various members of the Local Station Board. They'll talk about their responsibilities, recent developments throughout the network, and ask you for your ideas on how to build a stronger WBAI. 
Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Be sure to tune in. So mark that date on your calendar. Friday, May 28th, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. for the fourth report of 2021 from the WBAI Local Station Board. Only on WBAI New York. 99.5 on your FM dial. This program was Driving Forces, heard Thursdays at 5 p.m. Stay tuned for the WB.